The Nets end 2023 with a whimper, getting blown out by the Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday, 124-108. to So many questions come up from this game. Why can't the Nets score? Where's Cam Thomas? And what comes next for this team heading into the new year? We'll get into it all, but first, the theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Lockdown Nets podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Doug Nori, the owner and operator of DFSR.com. If you need projections for FanDuel or DraftKings, head on over to DFSR.com. We've got it locked down over there every single night with the NBA, NFL, while it's still going on. No Adam Armbrecht on the show tonight, this New Year's Eve version of the of the Lockdown Nets podcast, riding solo here as we exit 2023, getting into 2024 by the time you listen to this. I uh, hope everyone is having a good New Year's Eve um, and listening to this, hopefully in a safe and sound place, ringing in 2024. The Nets did not do us any favors in celebrating uh, the end of the year and the beginning of the new one here on Sunday, going into Oklahoma City and promptly getting smashed by the Oklahoma City Thunder 124 to 108 so many things come up from this game we're going to get into all of it uh you know just from the rotations to the minutes to sort of what maybe the strategy was to some of the quotes from Jacques Vaughn it's all going to be here but uh, on a high level when you look at this game you, you know it's hard to get too too upset just from the start I mean only because and I'm believe me I'm going to get upset about plenty of things here because I think there's plenty of things that we can complain about I just before we do that do I do want to pay you know nod to the idea or the fact that Oklahoma City is a very good team, 22 and nine now on the season, have one of the very best players in basketball and Shea Gilders Alexander, not an MVP candidate, but probably right in that tier below, looking like a really, really complete team now that they have Chet Holmgren playing like he's the rookie of the year favorite, which he is right now, and obviously a really, really good supporting cast. So this was always going to be an uphill climb for the Brooklyn Nets going into this one, even with sort of the swoon that they've been on recently and the struggles that they've basically faced every game that they haven't played the Pistons over the last, you know, <laughs> couple weeks, right? I mean, they had lost five straight going into the Pistons game. Uh, they won, thankfully, the back-to-back or the home-and-home -home against the Pistons uh, to, not make to make sure they weren't on the wrong side of that streak and now have lost three more games in a row, including the one they punted to the Bucs, uh, an embarrassing one to the Wizards. And, you know, a somewhat predictable loss here to the Thunder, right? Like they didn't, weren't able to cover, so they weren't able to stay within range of where the books had them. Again, I'm not sure how crazy we would have, like how bullish we would have been thinking about this as a win, but it just sort of continues this um, slide that the team seems to be on. And this game, in a lot of ways, encapsulates a lot of the problems that they've been having of late and some of the things that we've complained about and are going to continue to complain about probably as the season goes on along as long as some of these things continue. So I, I just wanted to say at the beginning, it's like, okay, well, look, this is a really, really good team. Oklahoma city, not a championship contender, but they're probably the next level down. This is a really, really good team. The nets were going to have problems here at the same time. 
this team did not do itself any favors in this game. They had all kinds of problems in the game. Believe me, I'm going to talk about Cam Thomas here. No worries there. So I, I know if you're sitting there saying to yourself, you know, why have you, you – know, we're at the five-minute mark. Why have you not talked about Cam Thomas? No worries. We're going to talk about him. But – just from on, on a you know again on a high level, the Nets did themselves no favors in this game. I mean, they shot terribly 12 for 46 from three, 26%, 38% from the field, 30 took 100 shots in this game. Uh, that was, yeah, 17 more than the Oklahoma City Thunder. Shot terribly from the field at 38%. Um, and they just continued to not be able to capitalize even on this. Sort of positives that they're able to give themselves, right? Like they're able, the reason they're able to generate so many more shots than OKC is because they were really able to get on and after on the glass, right? They had 30 offensive rebounds, or excuse me, 17 offensive rebounds, 47 total rebounds. And when you're able to, you know, out rebound 17 to five, the opposing team, you think to yourself, well, we're putting ourselves in a really, really good position. If you outshoot them by 17, 17 offensive rebounds and then to still lose by 16 points is something of a disaster. It just means all the, you know, the one maybe good thing that you were doing in this game, which was getting after it on the glass, you weren't able to capitalize on capitalize on it in any meaningful way. So even the things that sometimes the Nets are doing okay, they're not able to really capitalize on them and they're not able to really take advantage of it because the other parts of the game just continue to just be bad. Like I said, poor shooting, poor shooting from three, poor shooting from the foul line, 20 for 31 on the on the attempts they got at the line, right? They shot 11 more free throws than the OKC Thunder in this game. Didn't matter because they basically you know, gave a lot of them back by just missing. If you shoot 65% from the line, you're, it's going to be hard to win games. These are the stats that are just going to make it nearly impossible to beat anybody, much less a really, really good team in Oklahoma City. When you face one of the best teams and you essentially shoot yourself in the foot over and over and over again with, with this stuff, then forget it. Like we, It's a wrap. I mean, this we already know how the, this story is going to end up being written. It's just it's just it's too easy to sort of predict as you see it. So I think there's you know there's clearly some problems with execution. There's clearly some problems in the way they're going about things. <clears throat> there's clearly some problems in rotations and there's just clearly some problems with just the high level things that you need to do to win basketball games. The things you have to do to win basketball games are you need to wait for it here, make your shots, Okay, you need to make the easy ones, sometimes make the difficult ones and get stops at the defensive end. That uh, look, you don't need you, this. Could be your first basketball game you ever watched in your life. You'd be able to figure this out for yourself and say, "What are the Nets not able to do?" Well, they can't hit any other shots, and they can't seem to get any stops on defense, whether it's in the paint or around the three point <laughs> the three point line. Uh, OKC shot fifty four percent from the field, fifty five fifty four point five percent from three. This hyper hyper efficient. Most of the looks were really really easy. The stuff around the rim was super easy. The looks from three were clean. Even if you want to regress some of that for good shooting luck for OKC, it's not like they were hitting these crazy awesome contested threes. Most of these were really really clean, just off ball movement, lack of awareness on the defensive end from the Nets, and just the inability to close out or really provide any real resistance. And this just becoming a a theme over and over and over again with this team. They have essentially, they have guys that you think are going to be sort of efficient shooters. They really haven't been efficiently shooting. You think they have guys that profile well as plus defenders. The defense stinks. And this is what this is when you face a really good team that executes at a really high level. This is what you're going to end up getting. So 
when you look at this stuff, it's not all that surprising. Is it frustrating? Of course. I mean, we're here as, as frustrated as you are out there with these Nets games. This, it, you know, to not be able to put themselves in a position to really even keep it close uh, is frustrating. Just and it just continues the theme that we've been seeing in the short term out short outside of those Pistons games. Okay, want to get into this Cam Thomas stuff. Obviously, this is front of mind for a lot of Nets fans. We'll talk about Cam Thomas. We'll talk about sort of what happened, why I think it happened, and the problems that it uh, highlights around where this Nets team is. We'll get into that here in a second. But first, I'm going to tell you about our friends over on FanDuel. I'm going to put myself in a better mood talking about FanDuel. No better time to get in on the action than over on FanDuel right now. It's America's number one sports book. We've been telling you this forever. You have to get on this. New customers over on FanDuel get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. All you got to do is place a $5 bet. Um, that's $150 in bonus bets. Win or lose with that $5 bet. It's that easy. That, go find a better deal than that. You're not going to. They got all kinds of great stuff. They got the live same game parlays. Put a bunch of different stuff together for that game. Get those odds really, really up there. You can find bets in the new Explore tab over on FanDuel. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. It's the best way to find really popular parlays that other people are putting in so much more. I mean, over-unders, all the different stuff, uh, lines, player props. It's all there for you on FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. All right, Cam Thomas. Here we go, baby. This one's gonna be. Uh, this was. This one got wild and wacky on the Cam Thomas. Uh, on the Cam Thomas roller coaster that we've had this year. I don't. It's not a national story. I don't think just because the Nets are just such a mediocre team uh, that it just they don't end up kind of going front of mind to a lot of like just you know a lot of national media because look they're not that interesting of a team when in the national landscape right now. That's just where they are. But for us fans, like there's something that sits sort of weirdly about what's happening with Cam Thomas. So let's just break this down about what kind of happened tonight, how kind of odd it is, I think, even from an optics standpoint, and try to even figure out what's going on here. So obviously, to start, the Nets ran out the same starting group that they had run out last game that we saw them run uh, play against Washington. They picked an easy landing spot for <laughs> to, to switch the lineup around. Didn't end up working because they ended up losing to Washington. But essentially, they replaced Cam Thomas with Dorian Finney-Smith in the starting lineup. So Dinwiddie, Mikhail, DFS, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton are your starters again. Now, look, that lineup, as we've said many times, has been a plus a plus uh, lineup for this team this year. So if you're just just from like a net rating standpoint, it's tough to like argue really hard. If you if you remove Cam Thomas just from the discussion at all, it's hard to go like totally crazy about this as a starting lineup just because we have you know going into this game, this lineup had played uh, 136 minutes together. They got a plus 12 net rating, 120.5 offensive. 108 defense. So, so like if you just take Cam Thomas out of the discussion just and say like he never even existed, you can look at this lineup and say to yourself, hey, this is like a, a good starting lineup, right? They played a decent amount of minutes together. It's probably been a, against some easier competition earlier in the year. Fine. It's still a plus lineup on the season. So if you just aren't thinking about Cam as part of this equation, you can talk yourself into it. Fine. Moving on from that. So Cam Thomas gets relegated to the bench or as into, into a role 
coming off as like a sixth or seventh man. couple of things that happened a little differently tonight than it happened uh, in the previous game against Washington. For starters, he was not the he was not the uh, sixth man. He was the seventh man by about a minute and a half. But Royce O'Neal did make the first substitution in for Cam Thomas. Excuse me, in uh, for the Nets. And then Cam Thomas ended up being the seventh man. About a minute, minute and a half off of uh, difference in where they had run the rotations uh, against Washington. He comes in and probably scores uh, 14 points, excuse me, 14 points or 16 points. He scores 14 points in 11 minutes. Oh, excuse, um, yeah, 16 points in 11 minutes and looks like basically one of the only guys on the team that can score. He wrote, he plays for 11 minutes. Uh, he scores 10 points in the first quarter. He ends up playing a total of 11 minutes in the first half, and we really don't see him again until very late in the third quarter. The, in the, in the, Again, I called it a roller coaster in the story of Cam Thomas. This game might be, I don't want to call, I called it the breaking point online when I was <laughs> on Twitter, but I don't know if it's the breaking point. I don't know if it's the like sort of game that just highlights the exact thing that's going on. If like, if this, you can boil the whole Cam Thomas experience sort of down into this game, this seems like what it is. This is so weird. And the situation is so unexplainable to me, who has not even been like the biggest Cam, Cam Thomas proponent, right? Like we're not Cam Thomas stands. I think he's a really good player. I think the Nets should be trying to develop him. I think that the Nets, you know, should just be playing him more for where they are in the timeline to try to get the parts of his game that aren't as good to catch up with the parts of his game that are totally elite, like scoring. And so they can have a really complete player. They seem to be going in an opposite direction with this. And in a game where the Nets are struggling to score, really with any anyone outside of Mikhail Bridges early on in the game, for Cam to get his 11 minutes or you know 12 minutes a run, and then to basically not appear again until something like the four-minute mark in the third quarter is just such a weird situation. Now, I'm recording this before Jacques Vaughn's post-game presser, so I'm sure he's going to bring up something. I'm sure he'll get asked about this Cam Thomas piece. We'll comment on that, Pete. We'll comment on Jacques Vaughn's quotes and some other quotes by Jacques Vaughn, which have been a bit head-scratching in the short term. Uh, we'll comment on them on, on ne ne tomorrow's episode um, when we talk about that. Regardless, this situation to me is so odd for two reasons, Okay. The first is, and again, coming from not even like the biggest, craziest Cam Thomas fan. I, I'm, I'm just not. I think his game. I think he's got parts of his game that are awesome. There's clearly some holes in the game. He's not a perfect player. I'm, we're no in no world that we standing for Cam Thomas here. Except that I do think he should be playing more. I do think they should be developing him. And the part where he just doesn't even ends up getting buried for a long stretch here where they can't score is so weird. Even if you thought it was a good basketball decision, let's say you're Jacques Vaughn, Kevin Ollie, all the rest of Sean Marks. All, I, don't, I don't know who's exactly you know the tip of the spear with these decisions right now at this point. But even if you thought it was like the most sound basketball standpoint, and I'll make the case for it, by the way, from a basketball standpoint about why you should do this. The optics on it are so terrible. The optics on it are so bad for the Nets right now with this, that to the point of just like confusing, it's just so confusing about why this would even happen to have a guy who's basically a bucket for the first stretch that he's in the game. And then to not be part of it. I just really don't think you would see that happen in many other basketball NBA situations. One guys that can score like this usually just play more for their team for starters Two, 
usually teams will just stick with guys that are on a streak or are on the positive end of a streak just because for a minute or two extra or bring someone back in just because that seems like it would make sense. I mean, I know that some teams are really stringent about their rotations, but it's not like the Nets are some championship caliber team with some hardcore starting five or awesome lineup that they can always back rely on. This is a team that switched around and has played lineup roulette for a long time. So it's not even like you can fall back on the part where they have this core group that they always turn back to. Right. Like that's just not even the situation. You know, think of like, you know, Emmanuel quickly uh, over on the Knicks. Right. They're, they're going to go back to their starting five. Well, I mean, he's not on the Knicks anymore. He's traded. But when, you know, a guy who was a microwave scorer off the bench, you know, sometimes they wouldn't close with them because they would just go back to whatever their core group was, you know, to not maybe pair him and Brunson. But it's not like the Nets are even in that situation right now. They're in a situation where it behooves them to continue developing players because, they lack draft picks and they have a very unclear future going forward to have Cam Thomas basically buried here and to not play in a game where at least to start, he looked like we were on our way to a Cam Thomas game. And we've seen this before. Like sometimes with Cam, you can tell really early if he has it or not. And tonight early, he clearly had it to have. It's a signal that this is not what we're going to do that, that, you know, back to the bench, we're going back to the guys, the other guys. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It just doesn't make sense to me. I just don't get the path. I don't know what the plan is here. I mean, unless the plan is like they just don't really want to play him that much, which seems to be the plan. And I would disagree with that plan also, especially for where the Nets are. This game of all the games, and there's been a lot of confusing ones. There's been a ton of confusing stuff that's happened with Cam Thomas over the last couple of years, right? Stuff that we just failed to understand where we always think that there's something going on behind the scenes, where we think that there's things that aren't said and, and there's just other stuff going on this game to me and, and might end up being the one we all point to, right? Okay. Is it a game? It's December 31st it's a game in the middle of the season. It's OKC. It's a blowout loss, but this one seemed to exemplify sort of all the head scratching moments that we've had to cam Thomas with cam Thomas and boiled it down into one, game and one rotate one set of rotations and just one situation that I just can't even begin to explain. And it's just, I, it's very weird. I do not get it. And may hopefully Jock Vaughn will comment it on it after the game to give some clarity though. I'm not holding out a ton of hope for that. All right. More to talk about here. Do you want to talk about real quick? What I think maybe the strategy with Cam Thomas was, or make a guess about what, what Jock Vaughn will say about that. And start to talk about a couple positive things that did happen from this game that I think we can take away a few positives, um, even in a loss. So we'll get into that here in a second. First, going to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. Look, Prize Picks is daily fantasy made so easy. That's because Prize Picks took all the best parts of daily fantasy, removed the more difficult ones, and just gave you a really, really cool product that's very easy to use. You went up to 25 times your money too on a single uh a single entry. So all you do on prize picks is you're going more or less on the prize picks projections. Uh, and that's on the all the different stats. So points, rebounds, assists, block steals for the NBA with the NFL still going on, passing yards, rushing yards, receiving yards, touchdowns. You're going more or less on different players, you're combining different uh players and stats together. And you can just go ahead and win 25 times your money. Uh, turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. You can even combine sports. So you go more or less on points on uh, maybe Cam Thomas because you think he's, this is going to be a game that he ends up playing a lot. Uh, you go less on 
maybe um, now let's go more on a Tyrod Taylor stuff because the Giants look decent here against the Rams. That's just some of what you can put together over on Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on MBA. Use code locked on MBA for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Once again, prizepicks.com slash locked on MBA. Use the code locked on MBA for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, some final thoughts here about the Nets' loss to the Thunder. Again, it stings a little bit. Wanted to close out the year on a positive note, if I'm if we're all just being honest about it. Close out 2023 uh, on the high side here and go into the new year uh, with the W. Not going to end up happening. So just a final note about the Cam Thomas thing. My, I suspected that part of what the strategy and what maybe the, what they would have said about why cam Tom or even behind closed doors, like what the strategy was for cam Thomas was to try to get him away from SGA, uh, Shea Gillis Alexander as much as possible in the defensive end to not get exposed in the pick and roll against, or just like, you know, exposed one-on-one against one of the best isolation scorers in basketball in SGA. And we've seen other teams start to pick on cam a decent amount, uh, on the defensive end because they know that he's, you know, many times is going to be the Nets' worst defender. And I, it seemed like that lined up. Now, I don't think this is like – I think Cam Thomas is probably good enough that you shouldn't be doing this, but his minutes did line up. They overlap for about five minutes in the first quarter and then zero minutes in the second quarter. Like, they, they were subbed out for each well, – they weren't subbed out for each other, but SGA came back in a minute after Cam – was taken out and the SGA is on like a pretty similar rotation on a night to night basis. So Vaughn and company would have known sort of like around when he's going to come back in. And that's like literally the moment he came back out. And then that's sort of that line of thinking. That was what I thought at the end at, at halftime. And then that line of thinking to me extended into the second half where it took longer for him, Cam Thomas to come back in, in the, in the third quarter than it had in the first, in the, in the third quarter, he doesn't check in to until the three sixteen minute mark. So, and we're in, in the first quarter it had been around the, uh, the five fifty four mark. So it's an extra two and a half minutes from the time that he checked in. He checked in for Cam Johnson there. It seemed like that's what they were trying to avoid. Uh, maybe, right? Like if, if they just are worried that he's going to have a defensive funnel and it's going to be really hard to keep, you know, that he's just going to get targeted against a team that's going to have that has a guard that can specifically target like really, really weak matchups. Maybe that's the explanation. Is that a good enough explanation for where the Nets are in terms of their timeline and development? Absolutely not. Like Cam Thomas needs to be out there in these minutes. He's one of the few sort of like young assets that the team has and can, you know, either develop or just think about creating value for. They don't seem to be doing that. And you can't really do that without playing. And so if it's not going to be the plan, it's not going to be the plan. And I don't think that they should be in a situation of trying to match minutes or like not match minutes against <laughs> in the guy like this. Cause I just think that they're not really there. They're just not that kind of team. They're not deep enough. They're not good enough. And like, this is just, doesn't seem like the trajectory, but if I was going to try to think of an explanation, that seems to be maybe what the explanation would be a couple other things they did differently tonight that I thought were good. I thought there were times they got after on the defensive end. I thought Den- Dennis Smith jr's minutes. He played 15. I could have seen him playing even more. Would have liked to see him paired with cam uh, for a few more minutes here. I feel like that pairing still has some juice to it because DSJ can bring a defensive side that uh, cam t- can't. And can he, I thought was for at least some stretches effective at speed bumping 
SGA. That's Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, so I wasn't surprised that we saw some minutes from him. I thought it would have been more. I actually thought, because I wasn't box score watching at the time, I would have guessed he actually played more minutes at DSJ just because I thought he had just a definitive eye test impact during this game when he was actually on the court. Um, but he ends up only at, at 15 minutes. We did see a decent amount of minutes from Spencer Dinwiddie, who continued to struggle from the field. Uh, we saw 37 minutes from Nick Claxton, who goes for 15 and 16, though. And I hate to put the word empty calories into this one because I, I don't I think that's that's a little unfair. What I will say is I felt like this was about as non impactful 15 and 16 game as you can see from, from Claxton. Yes, he was getting on the boards. Yes, like the, he was pretty active there. He was five for 11 from the field. He was a minus 21 for the game. Easily the worst plus minus of the team. Again, only use plus minus. <laughs> Sometimes when there's like an outlier situation going on, but he played the most minutes on the team at 37. And it was just a problem. Like the, the, the defense really couldn't get any of their stops. In terms of Mikhail Bridges, again, he comes out in the first quarter absolutely firing. Seems like we're going to get a nice, efficient Mikhail Bridges game. Overall, he finishes with 22 points, seven boards, and seven assists. Only ends up going eight for 20 from the field, just three for 10 from three. Missed a couple, I wouldn't call them crucial threes, but really clean look threes that had they gone down would have put the Nets in a situation where they were kind of clawing back into the game but those shots weren't able to go down. Bridges continues to be really inefficient. It's been a struggle. I, there's just no other word for it with Bridges. We'll end up talking about more, more about him sort of on in more in depth here in, in future episodes, but you know, 22 points in the tonight's game, just 19 against Washington. I won't count the Milwaukee game because he only played 12 minutes, just 21 points in 40 minutes against Detroit uh, in a game that, you know, thank goodness they ended up winning 29 against the, the previous Detroit game. All right, whatever. And then before that, we know it was that, that run of Denver, New York, Utah, Golden State, where it's 14, 15, 13, 18. It's been a real struggle for him. He's been, it's been a problem. I, I know I spent a lot of time talking about Cam Thomas, um, not trying to pin the loss here on Mikhail Bridges, but if he's going to continue to shoot like this and not score at a hyper-efficient rate, the Nets are are going to continue to struggle. There's really no no way around it. They just don't have enough scores. They don't have enough juice. And the re the the, the hope here and the story here was that Mikhail Bridges was going to sort of carry this team as you know a top thirty ish kind of guy in the NBA. That's been so far from the case this season that it's a a big. It's not the main reason, but it's a big reason that the Nets are sitting here with this record and sitting here with some head scratching sort of questions around what this team is going forward. Because if Bridges is just going to be kind of the guy that he, you know, sort of the role of playerish kind of guy that he was in Phoenix with not really hyper efficient scoring numbers, like, and, and he's your number one option, like I, we can pretty much make a prediction about what the team is going to be. This is a tough spot. The team is in right now. They are, I think they're struggling for an identity. They don't know what the identity is. Hence the struggle. They are unsure about like, sort of like what are the best combinations? I think they're unsure about who to even play the guys like bridges that they're turning to, to take a lot of shots. It's just not going in enough. And this is just a team with a lot of flaws, right? And that, and they're all kind of cropping up here. In this stretch, this has been a very, very bad stretch for the team. It's hard to see it getting a lot better before. Or it's hard to see it getting better before it gets worse. They have some more tough games coming up on the schedule that could end up being, 
frankly, maybe a little bit more of the same if if we look at how things kind of shake out here over the next couple weeks, right? They, they, they have New Orleans in New Orleans. They have to go to Houston. That's going to be a tough game. They got to play OKC again. Then they get Portland, you know, Cleveland, Miami, and then Portland again. So you get a couple maybe Portland outs, but as we saw with Washington, I don't know if we can even count some of these games outs for where Brooklyn is. So struggle as overall as a team, some head-scratching moments, some confusing things for sure going on with Brooklyn and maybe Vaughn addresses some of it and maybe we're able to start fleshing some of it out over the next couple weeks about what the plan is here going forward but right now with where the Brooklyn Nets sit and after watching this game you have to really wonder about what the direction of the team is all right much appreciated everyone here that's been with us through 2023 and before that looking forward to a really fun 2024 look no matter where the Nets are we're gonna be coming at you every single day talking about this team the good the bad the ugly the beautiful whatever it ends up being make sure you subscribe over on youtube make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts as well i always get to this part of the podcast with my good friend who i miss so dearly here at the end of the year adam armbrecht who always brings the quotes from the great american poets and as i always get to this point and i remember that i have forgotten to look up a quote for the podcast i'll say that's Adam Armbrecht out there. He's one of the great American poets. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets. Every day.